0: Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minus and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minus more. And he said to him, well done, Good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words. You wicked servant, you knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the 10 minus. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minus. I tell you, I, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Father God, we just come before you and we need you to speak to us this morning. God, let these words, let the words that come out of my mouth be words that are yours. Remove anything else that might not be from you. And God, open our hearts so that we can see what your word means for both us who believe and who have given our lives over to you, but also, God, for the world out there that does not believe, that is living for themselves. God, speak to us this morning. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. And so here we see Jesus, he's about ready to enter Jerusalem. He is about to enter that final week of his life. And if you're a Jew at this time, I mean, especially those who followed him, like Simon the Zealot, I believe he is just chomping at the bits right now. And for everybody else who believe Jesus is the Messiah, they are ready for this because it is about to be Passover. There are about to be two million Jews coming into Jerusalem to worship God and to remember what Passover represents. Which if you remember your Old Testament history, Passover represents the, the angel of death passing over those who had put the lamb's blood on their door which led to their freedom from Egypt. And so here, hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, they are getting ready to go celebrate, and they have been following Jesus, who they believe he is the Messiah. He is the one that is going to free us from Roman rule right now. On Passover, it's all building up. It's going to be amazing. He's that political leader that is about to lead the revolt. We're about to have an uprising, people. And Jesus, kind of probably sensing that, we're told that he sensed it because he said that they supposed the kingdom of God was about to appear immediately. Jesus has been preaching on the kingdom of God. His first public ministry was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And now they're thinking it is come, it is here, we're about to experience it. And Jesus actually tells them something different. He says, I didn't come to lead this uprising I didn't come so that two million Jews in Jerusalem can overthrow the Roman government. Instead, actually, I came to do something different. I came to give my life. I came to not conquer Rome, but conquer a, an opponent that is far more powerful, far more deadly, but yet not near what I am. I came to conquer death. And Jesus tells us this in verse 12. He says that this nobleman, Went to a far country. The noblemen were seeing as Jesus, and Jesus didn't say there was this nobleman that went into Jerusalem and just slayed everybody. But instead, this nobleman left, foreshadowing what Jesus was going to have to do that he was going to give his life and then be gone for three days, reappear, conquer the grave, but then, even then, he was going to leave. But as he left, he did not just leave us with no purpose. He didn't just leave for, you know, we're almost 2,000 years later. He didn't leave and just like, all right, guys, figure it out. You know, kind of like the whole chicken with their head cut off thing, where it's like you're running around like crazy, like I am trying to figure this thing called life out, and I have no idea what my purpose is right now. But instead, Jesus tells us, this is what your purpose is. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, he tells us in this parable, this is what you are called to do. This is the greatest purpose that your life can have, greater than making your first million dollars, or honestly, greater than having a big family, or whatever, whatever you want, social status, whatever you think this world has to throw, has to throw at you. The purpose that Jesus tells us is far greater. Because in the parable, we see this nobleman, he's getting ready to go off. And so he calls 10 of his servants, and he gives them all 10 minus, which is about three months' wage. One minus equals about three months' wage. And so he gave them a fair portion. And a lot of times, and even as I was looking at this, it's like, man, that sounds a lot like the parable of the talents. Matthew chapter 25 talking about the parable of the talents, but it's different than that parable because in that parable, they all receive different talents. And so you can relate that one to like your gifts. Like not everybody has the, I didn't even think I had it to stand up here and talk in front of a lot of people. Some of you definitely have a far greater gift of one-on-one relationship, building that relationships, talking to each other that way. A lot of you have the gift of service. We see that so much. And so that is the parable of the talents, that each person has a different talent, gift, whatever it is. But notice in this one, each person received the exact same amount. You have 10 servants, each one given one mina. And so what that is saying is that each person here who has placed their faith in Jesus, we all have received the exact same thing. What is that? We've all received the gospel. We've all received salvation found in Jesus. We've all received eternal life through the blood of Jesus. Every single person here is on an equal playing field that not one of us can point to our own doing. Not one of us can point to, I'm an American. I uh, attended church long enough. I memorized enough of the Bible. I read through the Bible enough. I gave enough money. None of that is going to be able to have us say, hey, I made it because of this. We are all on the same playing field. The gospel of Jesus is the only thing that saves us, and that is what was given to each one of these servants. They all were given the gospel, one minor. Each person, level playing field, a minor. They were entrusted with it, but notice what they each did with it. Notice what was expected of them with it. I mean, you kind of have two different results here based on those who were entrusted with it. One Did nothing. He was like, sweet, I got my gospel. I'm going to hide it away. It's for me and me alone. I don't really know if Jesus is going to come back. I'm a little worried about it. And so I'm just going to hold on to this for myself. Whereas two of them that were told about received it and they were like, all right, I got to go and I got to multiply this. I got to spread it. I got to grow this. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to be entrusted with the gospel of Jesus. Not to take it for ourselves and be like, I got my salvation, y'all figure it out yourself. I'm gonna let this grow in my pocket. It's not even really gonna grow. I'm gonna throw this in my wallet, have it be like that get out jail free card and I'm gonna be happy with that. But instead, what we're called to do is to be faithful with it. We're called to take it and to spread it and to grow it. We're called to take what God has entrusted us with And use it for his kingdom So how are you doing At being faithful with What God's entrusted you Because it's a command from God Of what we are supposed to do With what he has given us Every single person That has received the gospel of Jesus Christ That has placed their faith in him Every single one of us Has now been enlisted in the Lord's army If you know the little children song I'm in the Lord's army Yes sir or whatever it is like we have been called to go 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20 Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God Have you implored anybody this week to be reconciled to God to be made right with God You're an ambassador. You are the representation of God on this earth. Meaning that when people want to know what is the kingdom of God like, they should be looking at your life. How are you at representing that? How are you doing at showing this is what the kingdom of God is like? This is what the kingdom of God believes in. This is what citizens of the kingdom of God fight for. Not Americans, Again, I mean, I really feel like because I see it in my own heart, we get those two lined up way too much. They're totally separate things. You are aliens in this country. You are members of the citizens, members and citizens of the kingdom of heaven first and foremost. And so what does that look like? How are you doing at showing that? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20, the great commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How do you do that? You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. But it's the co-mission. You're not going alone. You're going together. Ultimately, co-mission together with Jesus because he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we are called to go out and share the gospel of Jesus. Notice who the great commission was written to. It wasn't the 12 disciples. It was 500 people. It wasn't just pastors. It wasn't just missionaries. It was people who said, I am a follower of Jesus. That is who the commission has been given to. Who did Paul write his, church, write his letter to? It wasn't Timothy. It wasn't Titus. It wasn't Philemon. It wasn't one of the pastoral epistles where we can be like, ah, that's not talking about me. It was to the church in Corinth. It was to believers who are saying, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And Paul is saying, if that is true, you're called to be an ambassador. You're called to take what he has given you and not hold it for yourself, but to go out, represent, multiply, to to grow what God has entrusted to us. And so again, how are you doing at being faithful with what God has entrusted you? How are you doing with taking that gospel and planting the seeds in the lives of other people and in sharing his message with other people? Because again, like Paul, love your meditation. He's talking about, man, we come and we hear this all the time. Has it become dead in us? that we have taken the gospel and it's like, sweet, I'm saved. I mean, I was able to go to a Chiefs football game last week and it was crazy loud in there. And it's like, man, people are getting more excited about touchdowns than they are about lives getting changed for the glory of God. I mean, like people are going crazy at these football games. Some of them, they have a little liquid courage. But a lot of them aren't. They're just crazy for it. And Christians are, I mean, you know, there's a reverence that we're supposed to have here. I understand that. But it's like, man, I see a lot of Christian people that are bored with the gospel of Jesus. That don't get excited about it. That like, honestly, I was thinking this through in my head this week. Like, man, if I were in that one-on-one conversation with somebody about who Jesus is, what he did, like... How excited would I be about that? Like, if somebody came up to you and was like, hey, you know, you say that you're a Christian, can you share the gospel with me? Would you be like, heck yeah, let's go. Like, let me tell you who Jesus is and what Jesus did in my life. I mean, that's, that's sharing the gospel, what he has done in your life. Or would it be like, oh man, um, well, there's this God and uh, he sent his son to die for you. And you know, now you can go to heaven, Cool catch you later. I got other things to do. I mean, how excited, how, how faithful, how, how trustworthy are we being with what God has entrusted to us? Because notice, that's what the parable is about, I mean, two of them were given it and they were like, man, I need to go and I need to grow this. And then there was the one that was like, man, I need to keep this. Notice the two different responses to these guys, to the one who took it and grew it into 10 minus. The master came back and he said, well done, good servant well done. I entrusted it to you and you grew it. You made it grow. You made it become more. Man, you were faithful. Well done. I'm so proud of you. But then notice what he says to the one who just sat on it. It was like, I was a little scared. I really didn't think you were going to come back. I uh, saved it for a rainy day. He actually says, you wicked servant. You wicked servant, I'm going to condemn you pretty harsh words. Words that I do not want to hear God say that I entrusted you with this gospel and what did you do with it? You, you kept it for yourself? You didn't share it when I called you to share it because you were a little concerned about discomfort? Because you were a little concerned about what people might think about you? Because you claim that it was the most important thing in your life, but yet whenever it came opportunity to share it, you clammed up? I mean, that is like, hitting me every time on one of those. Like, those are things that it's like, man, sadly, if God kept record of my wrongs, that would be a lot of them, over and over. Are we being faithful with what God gives us? Are you... Here's another thing that I think was the difference between the two. The ones who were faithful, they trusted that the nobleman was going to return. They trusted. They were like, man, he's going to come, and I don't know when he's going to come back. We talked about this when we talked about remaining watchful. About those who didn't think he was going to return, so they went out, partied. They were mean to the other servants. They didn't live as if the the king was going to come back. And so are we living as if he's going to come back? Because if we have that eternal mindset, not just like a temporary here and now mindset, but a, this is bigger than my daily troubles today. Not to downplay troubles, but this is bigger. Paul, he tells us that these light and momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal dwelling. And so... Even our struggles today have an eternal perspective if we can get that mindset. Are we living with that mindset of Jesus? Man, like you could come back today and I'm praying for it. I'm looking forward to that. I mean, it's like every time I open up politics, it's like Jesus coming back right now. Like I am ready, but he hasn't because he's entrusted us with something still. And he's saying, I'm coming back. Are my people going to be found as if they are living for me? Because then you have the other citizens. They're they're called the citizens who are like, he's not my ruler. He's not my God. I'm not going to submit to him. Notice that the, the nobleman returns. And those who are like, not my ruler, not my God. The nobleman's like, actually, I am. Luke 19, 14. The citizens hated him. They sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. He's not, he's not in charge of me. We don't like him, but then he comes back. He returns. And so you see, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to be looking for those who have called him Lord, but not just called him Lord, who have made him Lord. Lord who have submitted and surrendered everything over to him. Because that's what he calls for Christians to do. To to confess and to believe, but that belief is not just the belief, like I believed there was a famous person that used to live, but more like my life is going to change because of it. To believe in your heart that he is Lord of our life. Because again, there are so many people that are like these citizens that are, no, no, He's not There are so many Christians even Who this is a common statement I've started hearing a lot in the past Decade for sure I don't think God would be like I don't think that Like I I just don't think God's like that And it's The thing that we're doing is We are taking God And putting him in our minds And making our own God Because here's the reality God's God and we're not. God calls the shots. God is not handcuffed or tied or confined in our little minds and like, oh man, I didn't realize I couldn't do that. He's God. He calls the shots. But there's people who are like, that's not how my God is. Well, He's not the real God. We don't get to define who God is, instead. God defines who God is, and God tells us he is truth. And so again, the truth is, is that Jesus is going to return. He's coming back. And that there are those that I I believe that every minute Jesus doesn't return, he is buying us time. Peter tells us that. Do not consider the slowness of God as if God is just not doing it well. Totally botched that uh, passage, but it's like, It's not that God's just forgotten, but instead he's buying time so that more can come to know him. Who's he entrusted that to? Us. But there's going to be a day that he comes where there are going to be people who are like, wait a minute, you're not my God. You're not Lord of my life. I'm not going to bow to you. Notice what the parable tells us. In verse 27, as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Bring them here because I'm actually the one in charge. I am actually ruler over them. Isaiah chapter 45 verse 23 this is repeated in Philippians chapter 2 verse 11 and then also in Romans but it says by myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me every knee shall bow every tongue shall swear allegiance Jesus or Paul says in Philippians 2:11 every knee shall bow every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord it's like there's going to come a day where even the world's strongest man, I think I saw a guy squatted like a thousand pounds, half a ton. It wasn't me. And it wasn't JD because we're the same size. But it was, <laughs> oh yeah, it's true. Nope. See, what you speak as truth is not always truth, people. Just a little side note there. But, you know, even the strongest guy squatting a thousand pounds saying, I'm not bound to Jesus. Oh, he's dropping to his knees. I mean, he's like that, dropping to his knees, and he is saying, Jesus, you are Lord. But the problem is, is that it's going to be too late. When Jesus returns, he is going to be, as he tells us, separating the sheep from the wolves. He's going to be sorting out his flock. He knows who are his. And everybody's going to realize, oh, you are Lord. You are ruler of it all. But it's going to come at a time where it is too late. But now's not that time. Now's not that moment where it is too late to surrender over to Him. Because notice also, everybody's going to submit to Him. He is ruler over all, everybody is going to give their life to Him. You can either do it now on your own will, He gives you that choice. You can either bend your knees, bow before him, and confess that he is Lord and live your lives like that, or he's going to return and he's going to make you bow your knee. And then notice what he says in verse 27 Bring them here and slaughter them. Honestly, when I read that passage or that, that verse and read slaughter, I thought that is harsh. But it's the reality. It's the reality, and right now I just want to really talk to Christians. It's the reality that friends, coworkers, neighbors, family members are going to experience if we don't take the mission and the message that God has entrusted us with and go and are faithful. We can't change their minds, sadly, but we can be found faithful. We can take that message and share it with them. People that we love. People, we have this cross back here with names on it. Who we have said, we are praying for those people. We want them to come to know Jesus. We know who they are. And if Jesus would return today, they would be not just slaughtered. I mean, slaughter might be a nice term for what they're about to go through. Because they're about to go through eternal damnation. Eternal hell. And so people believers, you who are confessing Jesus as your Lord, this, I mean, this is the greatest message, the greatest thing that we can do, is share the message of Jesus. Share it from a public platform, share it from your social media. I've been reading uh, some people that are just really, in the last couple weeks, taking and just putting their hearts for Jesus out on social media, and it's encouraging. Share it in your private conversation. Share it while at work. Share it while at school. Be faithful with it. Some of us have different gifts and talents on how we share it. The thing is, are you taking what God has entrusted to you and being faithful with it? Or are you taking it, putting it in your back pocket and being like, I I didn't know. It was more of my fallback plan. And then if, if you are not a believer in Jesus, if you're here and you're like, nah, I haven't made him Lord, then he says, hey, right now, at this moment, you can just submit your life over to me, and I'll take you. I'll, I'll bring you into the family at that moment. You are adopted into the family of God, and it is the most beautiful thing ever. And I hope that if you do that, man, I, I would love, I know it is not our nature, we're almost Baptist in this, but we would not go crazy. We might clap. I would love it if we got Gatorade and dumped it on them. You know, just being honest. But I, reverence, I get that. I'm, but I would love it if, if you're worried about giving your faith over to Jesus because you don't know what people might think. I mean, good grief, you are surrounded by people who would be so thrilled who would love to see you just take that step and say, man, I want him to be Lord of my life. Because let me tell you, Jesus says he came to give life and life abundantly. And I mean, it is the greatest life lived for him. Social status, that's going to disappear. Good health is going to leave. Money is going to get spent. Inflation is going to go up. But living for Jesus, that is something that nobody can take away from you. And it is not just a great life here. It is an eternal life spent with Jesus. If you've not made him Lord, I mean, now is the time to surrender over to him. Because there's going to be two responses that Jesus has when he comes back. One, he said it in verse 17, Well done, good servant. You were faithful with what I entrusted to you. The other, which I pray nobody in this room hears, is verse 27. These enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. May that not be said of anybody here. May that not be said of anybody that we know because we did not share the gospel with them. They have to to make that decision. But as we're told in Ezekiel, God tells Ezekiel that, hey, tell these prophets that if they know somebody's being led to death and they do not speak up, their blood is on their hands. But if they speak up and they do not decide to turn their life over to them, then they're washed clean. All you're being called to do is to be faithful with what God has called you to do. To share how great he is in your life. To share the good news of Jesus. That we were dead. We were slaves to sin, to our trespasses, to everything like that. And Jesus came, gave his life, and then through the work of the Holy Spirit, we've been set free. Let's go take that mission seriously. Of going, baptizing them, making them disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father God, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you have saved us. It's not by anything that we've done, but by who you are and what you've done. But God, now we have been entrusted to go. And so God, I just pray, give us courage. Give us courage to be like Peter and John. That regardless of what we're told, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. God, give us courage to be like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that even if it becomes illegal to speak the name of Jesus, we will boldly do it. God, give us the courage like them, that even if it's not illegal, we have the courage to share your word and your truth with those that we know. May we be found faithful. May we just live for you in everything. And God, if there's anybody here who has not given their life over to you, who is headed to hell, God, work in their hearts as we know that you are. And just give them that courage to give their life over to you. God, you're doing a work. May we just trust our lives over to you. And it's in the name of Jesus.